so glad you're here whether you're in person or online we are just so excited to worship with you um, so if you want to go ahead and stand um, and I'm just gonna have you listen to this word from God in Isaiah 43 he says see I am doing a new thing now it springs up do you perceive it and I think God is just wanting to do something new in us I think he is wanting to use this Lenten season to bring newness, to bring new life where there has been death. Um, so as we worship today, as we sing through that, that's where I want you to just be looking and listening for him to bring newness and renewal to you.
got praise. He deserves our highest praise. Thank you, Lord. Let's just continue singing out our praises to him today, looking to him, our God, our rock, our redeemer, our champion. Church, let's sing out these words with faith today. When I lift my voice and shout, every wall comes crashing down. I had the authority, Jesus has given me. Has given me 
Cause you are my champion Sing it out church Giants fall and you stand undefeated Every battle you won I am who you say I am Crown me with confidence I am seen In the heavenly place undefeated With the one who has conquered We look to you today, Jesus sit in the presence of God and just reflect on Jesus Christ, the one who gave of his very life so that you and I could find new resurrected life. Jesus, we thank you that our hearts be filled teach you a new song today, uh, more of just a response out of what we just sang, that when we look to Jesus as our champion, the very posture of our hearts changes. It shifts from being us-focused to being him-focused, that when we look at his face, that we see his love for us, we see the sacrifice that we gave, that he gave for us. And our response is one of just gratitude, of thankfulness, of surrender. And so uh, I recognize this song may not be familiar, but I want to sing it over us today. And if you get the hang of it, feel free to jump in with me. But just let this be our prayer today to King Jesus. That we respond with our highest praise.
for the wounds, for the beating you bore, for the tears, for the blood that was willingly poured, for the merciful, wonderful majesty of your love. Let's sing that again to the one. Stay. 
Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Jesus is our King. He is our High Priest. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He's interceding on our behalf. But He's not a God. He's not a King who is far off and distant, who we can't approach. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that He invites us into the very throne room of grace to come to Him. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. He says, cast all, all your cares on me because I love you and I care for you. You know, when we come together in a room like this, there's all kinds of experiences going on. There's people celebrating new life and promotions and great things in their life, and we should celebrate with them. And there's those who've experienced death and pain and everything in between. So we're just going to take time to lift those things up to our God in heaven who cares for us. You know, and here at All Shores, we simply invite you, if you're carrying something this morning, no matter how small, no matter how big, just to simply have a seat. To me, it's just a way that we humble ourselves before God, saying, I need you in my life. I need you to move in this situation for me, for my family, for my friends. You know, when you sit, some people will come around you, they'll put their hand on your shoulder. Just a reminder that your church family is with you, that you are not alone. You have a God that loves you, but you have a church family that is lifting you up as well. Let's seek him together now. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the truth of those words that we've sang. God, that Jesus, you are King, that you are sitting on the throne in heaven and you love us, Lord. God, and we just pray for our church this morning. Can we pray for, for Mary Breath, who is, uh, whose father is just very near death. We pray for Monica, whose aunt is very ill. Can we think of Sam DeWise, who lost her mother suddenly this week, and that you would be her comfort and her peace this week that you would be with Jane Word if she's lost her mom as well. Lord, do we know that there's others this week that are facing surgeries, that are facing illnesses, they need your healing touch, God. There's those who have family members and friends and kids who are just far from you, God. And we just pray with them to you, God. We pray that all our hearts would turn to you. God, we pray for your provision for those that need that. In every situation, God, we just pray that you would move, that everyone here would hear your voice, that they would be reminded that you love them, that you care for them, and that you have good plans for them. In the same breath, we're reminded that we are just one small token of your church gathering on a Sunday morning. And we pray for our other churches in our area. We think of the Church of the Nazarene, God, and we just pray uh, for how you are leading them and pray for a blessing over their church body and that there would be revival in every church in our community and around the world, that hearts would turn to you. We pray for our missionaries around the world and we think of Marissa Noel in Zambia and just ask that you bless her, you protect her, you watch over her, you give her fruit in her ministry there. And we just thank you for those that say yes to call to serve in foreign countries, God. In all these things, we lift them up to you and we trust you. We pray them in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? I just want to welcome you to All Shores on this beautiful spring morning. Whether you are joining us online this morning or you are right here with us, I'm so glad that you are spending time together and worshiping God together and connecting as people who love Jesus together. You know, we do really do value connecting with you and helping you take steps in your faith and grow. And the best tool that we have to do that is our connection card. There's a uh, QR code in front of you in the seat. You can open up your phone at any time and fill that out. You can put prayer requests in there. You can ask questions. It's a way that we can communicate back and forth and help you. We also have physical connection cards if you're a little old-fashioned like I am and don't like to use technology as much. And there's a, a connection point in the back of the room in the lobby, and you can talk to someone in person there. Yeah, you can actually still do that. 
So we invite you to do that as well. We'd love to connect with you this morning. You know, we also believe that we worship God when we give, when we give back just a portion of what he has given us and how he has blessed us. And we do that, we call that our offering. We give our, our, our tithes and our offerings each week because we want to be a part of what he's doing in our church and our community around the world and just give back a portion of what he has blessed us with. And we want you to do that with a, as an act of worship and with joy in your heart. There's ways to give on the screen. There's many ways you can do that online. There's also giving boxes by the doors on your way out. And we are so grateful that you are generous people so we can be a generous church in our community as well. I just invite you now to turn your attention to the screen for more information about what's going on here. Hey church, this weekend is step one of the journey. If you're new to our church, the journey is the best next step from one of our services to getting plugged in, getting to know more about All Shores, and ultimately finding your spot in our church. Step one uniquely happens the first Sunday of every month at our Spring Lake campus, and it's all about All Shores' mission, our vision, our values, where we've been, and ultimately where we feel like God is calling us to go. It happens during the 11 o'clock service, so if you've got little kids, you can check them in just like you would in kids' ministry. And it takes place in our upstairs conference room. If you don't know where to go or you're unsure of where that is, just ask a member of our team. We would love to help you get there. Okay, we need some really great ideas for Easter this year. Go! Me first. We do an Easter egg hunt, but to make it more challenging, we use tripwires. <gasps> tripwires. Hey, what about this? Dollar bills in every Easter egg. Hello! Mm. How about this? $10 bills in every Easter egg, huh? What's my name? Alexander Hamilton! <laughs> hey, we're not gonna give away our shot. Shot. Speaking of shot, I know a guy who knows a guy whose neighbor owns a cannon. We shoot the Easter bunny out of the cannon into a giant inflatable Easter basket. <laughs> okay. Pastor preaches his entire sermon while suspended in mid-air. We pay the movie trailer guy to read the liturgies. And win a dunk tank that doubles as a baptismal. Lay AstroTurf over our entire parking lot. Everybody loves AstroTurf. Fire ropes that glow in the dark. Confetti cannons instead of amens. A laser show totally in pastels. Hey, y'all have any trash? No trash. Just a treasure trove of great ideas. This is gonna be the biggest Easter yet. What's bigger than Jesus raised from the dead? I am so sorry. We've wasted your time. Gnomes were the grumpy ones.
It is as bad as the experts feared. Hurricane Ian has made landfall in Florida. There are a few corners of the massive state of California not feeling the impact. We have some breaking news out of Virginia where police say a six-year-old is in U.S. officials say that up to 100 Ukrainian Tonight, a battle to control the state of Sinaloa, Mexico. As Hurricane Ian slays in the deadly mass shooting in Chesapeake, Virginia. Six well, I want to welcome those joining us online and all of you here in Spring Lake. We're in the second week of a series that we titled Off the Grid. It's what's called the second week of Lent, which we say is a season that we kind of self-examine. We take the journey, if you will, with Jesus to the cross and ultimately to the resurrection. It's an internal search my heart, God help me see what's inside of me kind of journey. So if you were with us last week, uh, how many of you checked your usage this week? And if you did, were you up or down from last week? Just go up or down on your usage this week. And then the rest of you, what is the matter with you? We asked you to check this last week. I'm just teasing. I... One of the things we looked at last week was just how much our phones capture us, and we're kind of in the midst of this series looking at being off the grid, kind of allowing God to search us. So before we begin and open the scriptures, I want to just invite you to be quiet, to pray honestly to God. When we say pray, you're just talking to God. You can do it in your mind, you can speak it out loud, but you're just praying. Be honest. I, I want to know you right now. I'm confused. I have questions I'm in trouble, I love you, I want to love you more. Just be honest, you pray in the quiet because we believe it's about revelation, not persuasion or information. And then I'll pray for us together. God, I, I do thank you and believe with all my heart you are a God of revelation, that you want to speak to us that you want to say something to each person here in our midst, watching online, that we'll watch later, that you want to speak. And so very simply, Lord, I am asking that you would speak, that I would not get in the way. So anything I have to say that's not from you, let it fall to the ground, let it be forgotten. But I do pray whatever is of you, whether we're in doubt and struggle and needing to know you, whether we're kind of beaten down and need to be built up, whether we're hardened to you and need to be softened, lead us today. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the way we respond in our hearts and actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So as we're in the second week of the series, I'm going to take you back with me. This is to right around my 30th birthday. We had already had three kids by this time, and we're awaiting our fourth. And my birthday always comes a little bit after Thanksgiving. And that particular year, there was something coming out that I had wanted for a long time. It was newly coming out, though, a new kind of upgrade to something that we'd all been waiting for if you were my age. Now, some of you are too young to even know what that would be like. What was interesting about it was it came on sale the day after Thanksgiving. That's back when we actually had Black Fridays and everybody went to stores. Now it seems like that's changed how we even do that. But what was crazy was my dad, who did not like to accommodate some of these interests of mine, uh, he went to Target the day after and stood in line early in the morning and literally got for me the very thing I had waited and longed for for a very long time. It was Nintendo 64. 
It had just come out, and I know it just seems silly and funny to you, but I have to tell you, I was a happy 30-year-old man. <laughs> and so, I, to this day, I can still remember, like, uh, when I hear that, there's a peace that comes over me. There's different songs when I hear they make different things for me. I, uh, this one, this means I, I got some metal from Mario, and I was going to work tougher and unstoppable. Yeah, I can tell you're already with me and very excited about it, but I'm telling you, this music, it changed my life. Okay, it didn't change my life, but it changed a few months of my life and took a few months of my life, actually, from me and all of this. I, I can still remember there's one song that plays, and it is very calming, and the reason I remember it is I happen to be in that level. Now, in case you don't know, with this old Super Mario, it said there were 70 stars to win the game, but no, there were 50 more. There were 120 to win the game. So that first month of my adult life, working at a church, raising three children, awaiting a fourth, I spent many a night not sleeping. And upon the arrival of our fourth child, which was about a month later, I spent many more a night not sleeping. I still am kind of marveling because my wife would wake up for one, maybe two feedings for our youngest, and was still sweet to me. Like, don't you think you'd be looking like, hey, idiot, uh, you got to get up in the morning? And she didn't because that's the kind of loving woman she is. And three months later, I had received and accommodated all 120 stars. Yeah, I'd like to expect a little more pleasure from that than I mean, it's, it's quite an accomplishment. And, you know, you have to give up a lot of things to get there. A lot of adult things, things like being a parent, being a pastor, because I needed to get this. Now, that was a time in life when you had to have a game and go to it, but we all know that addictions and technology have upped the ante, haven't they? Can we agree that we live in a world increasingly where our devices, whether phones or others, have created a new kind of technological addiction? And if we're honest about it, I mean, that we know this is true even just from research now, and we don't even realize the thing that happens to us. This isn't even getting at other areas. Just consider technology with me. For example, we get major dopamine hits just by playing and doing different things online. And the difficulty is it makes an erratic chemistry for us, meaning our own dopamine gets a bit malfunctioning and having other issues. Do you know that physically that people like me who don't have just a game, but they can take it anywhere, do you know that we start to have issues of sleep and trouble? Have you ever been up in the middle of the night and thought, I can't sleep, I know, I should pick up my device, that'll get me some rest. And we do that. Do you know that our cravings go up and our activity goes down? And one of the places that is most grieving to me, partly because I'll see it, but we also know just the death it's caused, is when we drive, we use our technology, don't we now? And, and you know, have you ever been beside, behind someone in a car and you realize they're not moving and you think to yourself, they're on their phone? I would never do that, but they're on their phone. Like, we get irritated. And, and, and did you know it's causing more devastation, like people are dying. We had somebody, even in a family in our church that went through death because someone wasn't paying attention on the phone. Did you know that when people walk, it's causing more deaths? Because guess what? When we walk, we're not looking anywhere else. Have you noticed that when people are walking and on their phone, they think there's a bubble around them that says, get out of my way? Now, if you're like me, I actually like to see people like that, and I like to get in their way. It's kind of fun to watch because they're really angry at you, like, hey, you're welcome. Because that's kind of the way I am. 
but can we agree even that is we're misinformed. We kind of start to build a virtual bubble around us and have other issues. And that's not even getting to the fact that it's really clear. You and I are becoming more emotionally volatile. Our anger and anxiety and depression and sadness are elevating. And so what we're going to do today is look at some common digital addictions. You're welcome. I know you're excited about it. I hear it in the very quiet, in the tone of your voices. But here's what I want to be sure and say before we get into this. I don't think God looks at us and has disgust going, I can't believe you. What I want you to know is God loves us deeply and wants us to honestly face them and wants to help us with them. But the first thing is we just got to be honest, okay? So I'm going to take you to what research says are the top six digital addictions. Now, make no mistake, you probably can find one that you are enjoying that isn't one of these, so I'm not trying to make this exhaustive. You don't get to go home and go, well, I didn't have mine on there because it's not a problem. I told you it was just a fun part. It's just a little hobby that I have. But I want you to consider with me, these are the top six and where we might be. The first one is gaming. And what we do know about gaming in general is there are worlds being created that are virtual that are never ending. In other words, you can both have an enjoyment and find a way out of the reality of life, maybe even just to escape it. Maybe it's a place where we feel like we're more of a success because in real life, life is painful. And I hope by this virtual playing, it feels better. Or maybe it's something as simple as a, as a game that just goes fast like Candy Crush. You're like, no, no, I'm addicted. I'm just good at it. But the reality is gaming is becoming something, this virtual entertainment that is hindering us. Social media itself is, and Thad next week's going to deal with this on the relational side, which is very important. But this week, I just want you to consider how much social media of an, in itself becomes a reward. It's a dopamine hit. I go online, I see something, I get a little fix. Someone likes something, I get a fix. Or someone likes something I don't agree with. Have you seen this? Did you know we end friendships? I can't believe you like that. I, I hate you. Wow. I had no idea a click of a button would break our relationship. That's where we're at, because this is highly addictive. And in case you don't know, what, what is very clear is not only what you click you get, but there's artificial intelligence that knows what you hate. Have you ever wondered, why do I keep getting things I don't like? Because it fuels you. It's an addiction. I get a little, I need a little more. One of the ones that's becoming much higher is gambling. Gambling itself in digital platforms. And we know gambling, actually, I, I didn't realize till reading a bunch of research on this in the last week, gambling actually has the highest rate of people dying by suicide out of it because, most likely, people gamble when they're in a place, not just for the excitement of it, but we get into difficult financial places and we tell ourselves, I'll gamble, that'll get me out of this. And when the cost goes deeper, the depression goes deeper. It's getting bigger for us and more problematic. And then there's the one that our entire culture is kind of wired towards, which is sexualized. We talk about it in the word pornography, but I'll say much beyond that. In general, culture is becoming more sexualized in every manner. In other words, it's almost like it's in everything, and freedom is in everything, and it's confusing, and we're enticed by it. And we'll get more into some detail about that, though what I would say very simply is, People go there when they're lonely and empty and hope somehow that the fantasy they see will fill the need they didn't get filled through actual relationship. So we're living in a place where we're seeking to have needs met virtually and in artificial, unrealistic ways. 
Shopping is actually one that people are doing. It just extended it. Hey, you like to go somewhere and shop? Stay in bed. Just click a few things and you will get there. You'll feel good. <laughs> you feeling low, having a bad day? I should buy something. That'll make me feel better. And you know, the credit card bill doesn't come for at least a couple of weeks. If I'm late in the cycle, maybe it'll be a whole nother month. I won't feel it now. I'll feel better later. No, you really won't. We operate on impulses. And let me give you the one that is probably the most uh, messy for us is work-related. What this means is those of us who have a tendency to work too much, now we can do it when we're pretending to do other things. Oh, you on your phone right now? You doing email? Uh, I'm reading my Bible plan right now. <laughs> what are you doing right now? I notice you're clicking things. Um, I'm praying through my list right now. Now, we find ways to work all the time. And guess what? This online platform makes it something we can feed and continue to do. Now, these are the general categories. Let me just point out some things that we know that happen to us that kind of draw us to it. What are the forces at work that are kind of calling us and drawing us? One is it's immediate reward. Have you ever been in a place where you're like, man, things don't feel good, things aren't going well? An immediate award will help me a reward. And the weird thing is, even though it doesn't hold, it helps us for the moment. Maybe it's an escape. Maybe it eludes us, but it, at least we can feel better for a moment. And our very chemistry even hits. Like with dopamine, it hits, and we feel better just for the moment. And so when that goes away, what do we need? Another moment. You better not look down, because I will call. I'm just kidding. You're all good. Let me take you to another one. There are endless possibilities. This is particularly true of gaming, but it's really true of anything. Now we've created virtual worlds that are never-ending, and we just continue to fold just like we do in real life, but it's not real life. It's virtual. And let's be honest. Have you ever gone on and said, I'll just check, pick the media platform? Do you know there's no end to your scrolling? Do you, do you ever sit and go, I'll do 10 scrolls? No, you just what? Keep going. Because somewhere I'll find the one that'll be enough, or this one made me mad. Now I need to do this, or I'll go down a rabbit trail. It never ends. It's unfulfilling, but we keep going to it. It also provides escape. We have increased in our world and our lives significant mental health struggles and issues. And somehow, through our use of this, we miss what it's doing to us. We miss the grab that it has on us and how it's affecting us. It's also power with no risk, or we at least think it is, which I think is important to remember. Take something as simple as gaming. When you have a gaming thing, are you more courageous when you have a game? You bet you are. Because how many lives do they give you? Multiple lives, right? And if you die enough times, they just reboot the game and start all over. No harm, no foul. And the weird part is we say things we would never say to people anywhere else, but we do it somehow thinking we're masked because we're not present with someone else. But it really isn't power without vulnerability. It just appears that way. Let me even take it into the realm of this idea because we're so over-sexualized as a culture. We live in this crazy place that we live out of fantasy. And what happens, it can happen in any of them, but particularly in these areas, it happens in a way that we build a fantasy life that we want someone to be for us what no one ever could be, even if we have someone around. And so relationship is built out of fantasy and meeting our own needs. 
which by the way, God made us to be giving to others, not just in the intimate realm of marriage, but in all relationships, we're to be ones that give to each other, right? And yet everything in this kind of digital culture creates taking and for me and getting what I want. (laughs) It's just literally like being tempted is free, but it's not. And so what I want to do today is us go into a really short excerpt of a letter that James write to the early church. He writes it. Now, it's obviously not exclusive, and there was no digital influence, but it gets to the whole idea of the things that tempt us. That's what he's going to talk about. And that's what we uniquely have with digital technology. We have a format that is built to entice and draw us in with no guardrails and no recognition of what it does. And so we're going to look to James, and I want to preface what he says in this way, because he begins, before he gets into this section about temptation and what sin is and what it does, he first talks about kind of this posture. And he, he says to all these believers, listen, you're going to have difficult times. Keep persevering in the struggle. And so if I say nothing else to you today, know this. Our digital lives are a struggle. And we have to fight to live them in a way that's actually God-honoring that technology is a tool, not something that we are drawn and lived from because it's made to entice and overload and overwhelm and get more of us. That's what it's made for. Even though we think it's not, that's ultimately what things are divided for is to build an economic help to whoever creates and provides for us. And so it's important we see this. Well, when James writes a letter, he's telling them you need to endure And then he just gives two kind of people as an example before he gets into the temptation, which we're going to do here. He says, some of you need to celebrate your high position. And your high position is that you're impoverished and you have nothing. And so you're dependent on God. In other words, you should celebrate your despair because your despair makes you dependent on the Lord. That's what it basically means. And he says, those of you who have more, who are rich, you need to celebrate your low position, your position of needing to fall down lower. And then he compares it to the wealth to a wildflower. He says this, a wildflower is there, it grows up. But what happens to a wildflower over time? Blows away. In other words, what he's saying is anytime you think you've built your comfort around your own life and the way you do things, the wind blows it here and there. You have no real control. So when you think you have much, you're actually in a place you need to be brought low. That's the posture he tells us before we get to temptation. So it's not in this passage, but it's a great thing for us to realize, what's my own posture to this? And I want to say this before we look at the text. God does not tell us of our sin to say it this way. I am so disgusted and disappointed with you, do better. He points it out to say, I know that you're broken and things are dark inside of you. And I'm here. In other words, I want you to face this honestly. I'm not here to scold you or shame you, I'm here to go, can we honestly face the guilt and mess in our lives and know God loves us in it? Okay, so that's what I'm asking as we go into this. You're with me? Okay. This is how James speaks to us about it then. He says, when tempted, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. In other words, you don't blame God for the struggles in your life like he put it out in front of you. God can't be tempted, nor does he actually tempt anyone. And then he says, you want to know how temptation happens? Each of us is tempted when we're dragged away by our own evil desire and enticed. Then after evil desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. 
Now, that doesn't mean everything we do is a bad temptation. It means within those things, there are temptations that will draw the part in us that's broken and how we're always and struggling to live our own lives our own way. Adam and Eve sin in the garden, and they're sinning because they want to be like God instead of being subjected to and being following God. And the devil tells them, you're not going to die. You'll be fine when you do this. And they eat, and they're not dead. But God said you'd be dead. But the reality is what God's telling them is you brought the seed of death into your life by living for yourself and not for him and not loving what he's giving you, wanting to be like him, and it brings destruction. And that seed is in all of us. What James is saying, it's, it's the temptation that hits And when we allow it and we feed it, it gives birth to problems and destruction and sin. And ultimately, that leads to death. Let let me use this under the metaphor of a drug addiction, only because it's one we're more familiar with and tend to look at more openly. We often will see people, we call them high-functioning addicts. And what it means is they can drug and destroy their lives in lots of ways, but they still manage the economics and the job and the things that give the appearance there's no consequence. But anyone who lives with someone like that knows there's consequence, don't we? Don't we all have destruction that goes? It just doesn't show up right away or we hide it well. And so I don't want you to miss this. James is telling us the pathway when we give into temptation and it becomes sin in our lives will lead us to destruction and death. It's a slow build. It's not a fast build. Picture it this way. How many of you like to fish? Show of hands, people who fish. Okay. You should take me with you because I always catch a smaller fish than anyone else and they'll feel better, but that's neither here nor there. When people fish, they put something on a hook, on a lure that the fish will think is food, right? And the fish see it and they grab the food because they think it's good to eat, but then they're hooked in and it's going to lead to their death, right? But I want you to picture it this way. Fish sometimes get off the hook and they get away and there's a game being played by the one fishing and the fish, which is how do I keep enticing them? How do I keep drawing them closer? How do I keep moving them in a bad direction? And that's really the picture of sin growing up. It's the idea that we can get hooked to something, and then we think it's food, and then we want more. And what really happens with the technological addictions are we get something, but it's not enough. And the more we get, the more we need. It actually creates a higher and greater need to eat. It's like the lure being drawn closer and closer and closer to destruction. You get in the picture? Like I want us to honestly face, listen, these aren't popular words, but this is the reality of our lives. We all are tempted. We all have things that are destructive in that, and we all have places our life gives birth to sin, and that sin ultimately leads us down a road of destruction. In fact, I would say it this way, that you and I all have patterns of life that we either feed our sin or we feed our freedom. And we're going to look a little bit about what that means. But the reality is you and I have places that can be destructive. And technology is one we ignore or say it's not that big a deal. How many times have you ever dismissed when someone said, I think this is a problem for you related to technology? Can anyone raise their hand if they've ever had someone who loves them tell them, you know, I think you're doing that too much? Really? Only a couple of you? I know there's more. It's okay. I forgive you. I'm just saying this is a pretty big problem for all of us that we don't realize how it's taking our lives away. There's a hook in us. Now, James isn't the only one who talks about this. This is talked about regularly in the early church. But I want you just to consider the things that die over time. Does your use of technology hurt your relationships at all? Because if it does, you're moving down a destructive path. Has it ever impeded your work? The research on how much 
work time is being robbed because people are on their phones and their technology is ridiculous. And can we agree many or most of us do that? I mean, does it rob you of peace? Have you ever had it where you take a hit off of your device and then when it's over, you're back to feeling the same or even worse? You bet. Could it be robbing you of your freedom and even more of your purpose? And that's what I want to focus on today is there's a purpose for us that we're losing sight of. So I want you to hear how Paul describes it, and he describes it as an inward destruction. But this is in, the letter, in a letter that he writes. This is to the church in Colossae, and this is how he says it. He's talking about putting to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. He's saying those things that pull our desires in the bad direction. And he describes some of them, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He goes on to say God's wrath is coming, which is not saying God's holding back and pointing the finger. It's saying that's the destructive nature of what happens, and it comes. God actually holds it back and then lets it come. But he says this at the end. You used to walk in them in the life you once lived. So he's very simply saying we create idols in our life and live in idolatry. And in case you don't realize, it's always about meeting my need, meeting it my way, meeting it in my time, which at the end of the day is a lustful way of living. I've got to have for me, it must. Now, this is what I want you to picture. So we here in the New Testament, there are, there are idols, there's idolatry. And you go, we don't live in ancient Rome or that culture. In their culture, they actually built temples. So if you were someone that enjoyed and were hedonistic and wanted sexuality to be at the center of your life, there was a temple for that. There was an actual God that you would offer things to to say, that's what I'm building my life around. You want to build it around war? There's a temple for that. You want to build it around power? There's a temple for that. You want to build it around fill in the blank? There was a temple for that. Here's the crazy part. You and I don't have temples around, do we? So this is what I want you to understand. The problem's still there. How we see it's different. You see, our idols, they become modernized, sophisticated, subtle, and slowly adored. Is there an area of your life you go, maybe, there are places I begin to find my hope here and I didn't even see it. I'm not even aware this has become an idol for me. And all it takes is, can you stop it? And don't give yourself credit. Anybody can stop for a little while. Can you actually let go of it or is there a deeper craving? Is there a need you're trying to meet? Is something broken in you? Do you have a failure and go, you know what? When I go here, I feel a little bit better. You're in debt and you're like, I don't know what to do, but when I gamble, maybe that'll get me out. You're feeling lonely and unloved. Maybe if I go here, this person that I don't actually know, that I have no relationship with, maybe that will somehow make me feel better. You know what? I don't have stuff, but when I shop, I feel a little bit better. You know what? My work is the one place they encourage me. I'll just keep doing that all the time. Because our idols, they're modernized, they're sophisticated, they're subtle, and they are slowly adored. I know it is hard to hear but I know it's good to hear. <laughs> I'm reminded Paul had one idol they talked about and he said, you don't even know what its name is. And I go, can we agree there's probably things that we built our life around and we don't even know what to call it? All you have to do is ask yourself the question, if you're ever sitting around at home and you're thinking I'm gonna go do something and two hours later you're still sitting there scrolling, there's probably an idol you don't even realize. And we all have them. Now here's the good part of it. I told you, I don't believe God wants to do, speak to us in a way that's just kind of like, I can't believe you did this. Fix it and get better. I want you to see what happens next in James. First, he talks about that he'd been humble and dependent on God. He talks about bearing with us and working at it. And then he tells us, listen, we have temptation. It's our own desires. We give way to them. 
Sin gets a root in our life and ultimately will lead to our destruction and death in lots of ways. And here's how he responds after he tells us the struggling news. He goes, listen, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Let me focus you in the right direction. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. I want to start just up here. Did you know the Father loves to give you good gifts? I don't know what your earthly parents are like. I don't know what they were like. I don't know the things we carry, but most of us carry this idea that the Father's continually disappointed. Like, yeah, we forgive you. Jesus came to do that. I forgive you. But you know what? You better do better. This is not good. And I'm kind of disappointed until you get better at how you live. So we receive forgiveness and says, like, now I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and do better. That is not the Father's posture. The Father wants to give us good gifts. And the crazy thing is, do you know what the best thing he gives us? His himself. See, we keep looking for God to give us things to make our life better, and the best life is the life with him. And this is what I want you to see in this. It says he does not change like shifting shadows. You might be in a place you think God's forgotten you, and I can't, maybe I can't convince you that's not true, but I'm gonna tell you it's not true. And you know what the church is? We're supposed to be a group of people that when someone feels forgotten and forsaken, we come alongside of them and go, we're here. We're going to keep praying with you and believing with you. And you're going to find out this father loves you that much. He is with you and for you. Because you shouldn't be in this alone. And we fight these things alone. The father cherishes you. But I want to take it one step farther. I want you to see the root of what this means. He says he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Now, Some people go, well, that's the Bible, and that's not what it means here. It means something much bigger. The word of truth is Jesus. And what he means is, God chose in our brokenness and our temptation and our sin to be right there with us. Now, I do believe he died for us, meaning he dies for your actual sins, but there's a greater death in it. Jesus died to defeat sin and death. In other words, his suffering and his death is to actually win a battle you and I never could. And you know how God does that? He gives sacrificially of himself. You want to know what God does? He gives unbelievable sacrificial love to defeat sin and death so you and I can be what he says are first fruits. In other words, you want to know at the core of God who he is? He's generous and incredibly giving. And he says to you and me, You're stuck, you're messed in this. Hey, I came to die to break the power of this. And I'm with you in my presence even when you fail to help you out of this. But it won't be to get you somewhere else, it'll get you with me. (laughs) The very nature of God is giving that we live a life of giving the same way. Did you ever consider that? That actually our generosity is rooted in his generosity. We don't do it to please him. Oh, I really messed up. If I give more to God, maybe I'll do better. I really messed up. It's because of his generous way of living and giving new life, you can't help but want to give in response. And if we don't do that way, it means we don't get this. So what I want you to be clear on is, man, in the mess you're in, whatever it is, Father loves you. Father and the Son and the Spirit, one God, Three distinct persons, each saying, let's go. Jesus goes and dies and lives an excruciating death, not just to pay for your sins, but to defeat sin and death. Come on. 
That's amazing. And he gives us the spirit so we can live differently, be actual first fruit. Here's what I'm going to ask. And there's three real simple questions I want you to ponder today. And I'm going to give you space to do this a little bit, but what need are you trying to meet through your clicking? Can you just be honest, at least with God? What am I trying to meet right now? Maybe it's anxiety. I'm hoping if I click enough, my anxiety will calm. Maybe it's loneliness. I'm hoping if I click enough, I can discover some kind of life I don't actually have, and maybe then I'll feel love. Maybe it's debt, and I'm in trouble, and I want to get out of it. Maybe if I click the right things in enough, that will get better. Maybe if I work a little harder and a little more, then I'll finally get out of this pit and this mess. Maybe fill in the blank. Can you just be honest what your need you're trying to meet? And then this, I want you to be honest because we don't do this. What's the cost? What are you losing in your time? What are you losing in your very attention? And, and I always ask this, we've, we talked about it even last week, just are you present? And if you're not, that's probably what's happened. What are you losing in your relationships, in your own resources, in your purpose, and in your joy? At the end of the day, what digital technology does to us as we anchor to it more and more is it just gives us a pause to actual life. <laughs> and pretty soon the pause becomes our way of life. More and more. And the hook gets in, and we keep saying, I need more, and we keep getting less, but we keep wanting more, and we keep getting less, but we keep wanting more, and the fish is getting pulled in more and more to a place of death and destruction. Let me give you the last question. What kind of death could it bring? Have you considered what's at risk right now by the places you are becoming addicted? And, and let me not limit it to digital, though that's what we're talking about today. We have lots of other things we get addicted to. Lots of other places we have kind of acquiesced or drawn into the lure of temptation and began to fill our own lives through sin. And we're on a quiet path to death. Maybe nobody even knows. This is for all of it, not just for digital issues. Though that's where we are today. You might be thinking of something else. And let me just ask this one as the best response. What gift do you need from the Father today? What do you need from God? So here's what I want you to do. Just for a minute, I want you to sit in the quiet and ponder those things. Be honest with God. Here's where I'm stuck right now. Here's where the needs I'm trying to get met. God, help me to break free of this and ask for the gift he can give you today. And then after a minute of that, I'm going to guide us through a, it's a written prayer that I put together for us to kind of pray collectively in this area of what I would say is temptation and sin and destruction. And then we'll worship out of that. So let me invite you just to close your eyes for a minute and pray. Be honest with God. Ask him for what you need. And then the idea of written prayers is a long history of the church, and it's just giving language that we share to issues that we have. So I'm going to ask you to open your eyes, and we're going to read this together as a point of our belief, of our words, and of our emotions. We're going to ask God to meet us in these words. So let's pray. Father, I confess I have sought life and hope in other ways than through you. Forgive me, Jesus, for seeking life outside of you. Free me from the hooks of temptation. Help me to die to these patterns and ways of sin. Clothe me in new life of your Holy Spirit in me. Change me. 
Fill me, direct me. Lord, help me find life in you moment by moment and day by day in all circumstances. Jesus, you are my savior. Father, you are my greatest gift. Holy Spirit, you are my source. Lord, I commit to worship you only. Lead me to this new life in your holy name, amen. And Lord, I'm asking for the blessing of your very presence and love and life over each person as they need you today. God, continue to meet us as we worship and respond by receiving and worshiping. I ask this in your name, amen. I wanna invite you to stand. We're gonna worship. We try to give space at the conclusion of a message to worship, kind of allow the spirit to move among us. And I wanna preface it this way. We're gonna sing a song that's about pouring out our love to Jesus. And I wanna be really clear. We don't sing this in the idea of maybe if I offer my love, Jesus will be pleased because I must be disappointing him. We offer love because of the love he gives us freely and unconditionally. And the more we know the love, the more we want to give in response. See, a giving generous God, if that's his nature and we're made in his image, he made us to be the same way. And don't you think if you're given the best thing there is that you wanna give gratitude and joy back? And if Jesus is indeed the best thing we have, the object of our worship and affection, that's the heart of what we sing out of. So if you don't feel these things, feel free to even just pray, God, help me to actually desire this. But do not do it in a sense of God is, you're trying to please God and do just enough. Ask for actual love to have for the words we sing. Let's worship together and we'll celebrate communion as part of this. Freely give it all 
celebrate communion in just a minute. Hopefully you were able to get a cup when you came in. The bread is the top layer and the lower layer is the cup, the drink. This is a wonderful sacrament Jesus instituted on the night he's betrayed. We don't have any rules or stipulations that you have to be a member here. We want to encourage authenticity. So if you're, if you're wanting to pursue Jesus, that's what this is for. We don't stipulate, but we want to encourage you to follow him as a part and a response to what he's done. The picture of this is a picture of a relentlessly, sacrificially giving God. That Jesus came in the flesh to suffer and die, to actually carry our sins, but also to suffer and die and carry the very power of sin and defeat it through his generosity. <laughs> While we're a mess. Not because we went, oh, I need help, because we didn't. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy love, isn't it? And we want to receive that. When we celebrate communion, what we're receiving is the unbelievable, generous, generous, sacrificial, substitutionary, power-driven love that conquers sin and death. Come on. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body, and it is given. The God we follow gives. <laughs> And by the way, while we receive, we're called to give the same kind of life to others. Let's take of the bread. We receive before we can give. In the same way Jesus took the cup, he said, it's a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. We drink of the freedom we have of being first fruits, of having new life only in him, in our humble dependence on him. Let's take of the cup. And I want to give you one more picture before we kind of raise the, raise the roof with finishing out this worship song. Everything we sing about coming up are things we give. If it's a fragrance, God, I pour my oil out. If it's a life laid down, I give you mine. If it's a song, I'll sing it to you. What do you want, God? And I want you to get the picture. We don't give hoping he'll be pleased. We give because that's who he is. And the more grateful and the more filled we are in him, the more we want to live the same life. So take it this way. When you give, just as a part of being a Christian, and you give of your own resources, you do that to say, God, I love you. <laughs> I give of myself because you're who I want. You're better than my resources. And the source of that, sorry, that bread is just choking me right now. When we ask you to serve, it's not because you're hoping to please God by serving. It's saying, you and I live a life of giving to others. That's what we do when we serve. We do it because of his love and the gift he gives us. We become people like him that live the very same way. Our giving is in response. So I'm gonna have you stand. We're gonna sing this and I want you to remember responding. And I just wanna give you one last picture because it came to mind as we were sitting, as we were singing. <coughs> when I was growing up, my dad would like it if I just sat and played the piano. He'd just listen and take it in. 
And I realized my dad really enjoyed my playing and singing for him. Our father, he loves when you sing to him. So why don't you enjoy him sitting and taking in your response and worship to him as we do this together. I just want you know, I'm, I am praying for you. Like, I think God wants to bring such freedom to us, and it comes through honest confession, honest brokenness, and honest need. Man, the Father 